Hello, this is Leslie Tolbert. I'm a Regents Professor of Neuroscience at the University of Arizona. Our guest today is Dr. Kathleen Gotard, who is an Associate Professor in the Departments of Physiology and Neurology and in the Bio5 Institute at the University of Arizona. Her work addresses really interesting questions about how our brains generate and regulate emotion and social behavior. Welcome, Kati. Thank you. Tell me, why is it so important and so difficult to figure out the biological underpinnings, the neuroscience behind social behavior? It's important and also fascinating at the same time. It's important because everything I know about the brain, about the way our minds work, and about mental health, tells me that nothing compares to emotional suffering and emotional pain. And this is a very hard nut to crack, yet it's at the core of a lot of disorders, not only mental disorders, but also physical disorders. So it's an in in incredibly challenging, beautiful, and meaningful subject for our research. So tell us about what you're doing right now in your laboratory. So I focused my uh, research on the amygdala. You know, in science, we have this big question, emotion and social behavior. But these are enormous questions. And as scientists, we have to sort of cut the cake into thin slivers and focus on a little question, and a question that represents the big question. So the little question that I chose that represents both emotion and social behavior is the production and perception of facial expressions. Because our face is what defines us most. This is who we are. And also, we understand the facial expressions of others and understand their mental and emotional state, and also express our own emotional states and our own mental states through facial expressions. So my study is really honed into the emotional and social circuits of the primate brain. How do these circuits understand and make sense of the perceived expressions, facial expressions of others? And then how do we reciprocate them? How do we choose to respond to the most adequate facial expression in a particular social context? And you can get down to circuits and even single nerve cells in those circuits? Oh, yes, we can. The, Tell us the, how, how you do that. So the, the, the center of our, 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 the focus of our research is the amygdala. And the amygdala is this, is this globe of neurons that is evolutionarily relatively old. And it has bigger neurons and smaller neurons that are clustered in different nuclei. Some nuclei are busy figuring out what the rest of the brain understands about the stimuli. And some nuclei are busy about conjuring up a bodily state during emotional state. And we can put tiny little microelectrodes that are thinner than your hair right next to individual brain cells and wiretap these cells and listen into the conversations that happen between these cells and the rest of the brain. And how do you generate emotional responses? How, how do you, what's ah, the test that yes. helps you know whether a nerve cell yes. is responding? So this is a particular challenging type of neuroscience because just showing a picture is not going to be enough. What you want is your subject to actually be in a mental state and an emotional state. So it turns out that the more natural the stimuli that they use, the more you tap into the existent, uh, finely refined uh, mechanisms, the better you can make this experiment more naturalistic. So we show videos, because videos are dynamic, they're colorful, they have audio. So we make the stimuli as naturalistic as possible, and that 
is triggering the natural responses in our subjects. I'm sure it happened to you that when you watched a TV show or a movie, you laughed or you cried or you shook or you were completely fearful. So videos are really powerful. But now we're moving into a completely new direction where we're going to actually have true real life one-to-one social interactions in the laboratory. That sounds really exciting. Tell us about some of the most amazing cells you've ever recorded from. I remember you reporting about cells that responded to particular facial expressions and only those facial expressions. Yeah. You must have been stunned when you found yes, that. Yes. I was one of the few lucky scientists who, who gets to discover something. Most of the time, we work very hard, and we contribute a brick to the big edifice, but you don't get to be lucky enough. And really, it's a question of luck. So we discovered that uh, in the amygdala of primates, there are neurons that respond to facial expression, but they're very clever neurons because they don't just respond to a smile or a threatening face. They respond to a a conjunction, a, a, a unique combination of individual and facial expression. And that makes perfect sense because we are social creatures and a smile or a frown gains its value, its, its, its importance from the person who's displaying that. So that was an early discovery, which was not necessarily unexpected because other peoples have seen something similar in the amygdala before. What we really discovered here at the University of Arizona are the eye cells. There are cells in the emotional center of the brain that respond selectively and specifically to eye contact. And what is more emotionally powerful, more intimate, more arousing, more connecting than looking into each other's eyes? And now you're studying, you're pursuing this eye contact, the sort of magic of eye contact, um, more deeply by looking at emotional uh, measures of emotion that that uh, say something about the physiology that results after we've made eye contact. Yes, I think that we think about emotions not necessarily as mental states, but as coordinated mind-body states. The body always participates. The body always keeps count on what's happening in the mind. So we actually look at heart rate, skin conductance, respiration, pupil dilation, a lot of our organs that, like an orchestra, they all play a little part in this big symphony that happens uh, that kind of expresses our mental states. And of course, it's all tied back to the brain in the in the first place. So yes. uh, it's, it's wonderful that you can connect all of these bits together. What's next? Uh, we are um, really lucky that we found these important features of, of the emotional brain through indispensable and really important experiments in animals. There is no difference in the way animals and us feel certain emotions, but there are emotions that are uniquely human. So if we want to go further, we would like to do in parallel to our animal work, work in humans, and we are collaborating with neurosurgeons who are putting electrodes in the brains of patients that are awaiting uh, surgery for epilepsy, and we can interrogate the amygdala of these patients, and then we can ask questions because humans are verbal, and they're gonna tell us 
what they felt and how they experienced subjectively that emotion. So we are capable now of running the same experiment in monkeys and humans, and it, and and we can we can explore the similarities and the differences in the social and emotional brain in, in between monkeys and humans. That's just amazing. Can you bring us full circle? You said you started by telling us how emotions can be so devastating. Uh, it, can you tell us about the implications of your work for situations in which emotions um, have sometimes uh, been, been so, so uh, deeply felt that they affect health? I think if you look, uh, just many examples come to mind. I think if you look, for example, at a person who has PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and you ask yourself, how do these patients die? Why do they die? They don't die because they have nightmares and because they have uh, this emotional trauma that they carry carry with them. They die because of a heart attack because high cholesterol, because of high blood pressure. So the reason why this is so important, because emotions are mind-body states. And whatever you experience in terms of the subjective emotional pain, when your mind is torturing you in a mental disorder, that has a social implication. It further isolates you from other people. You don't get the help. You don't get the connection. You don't know how to ask for help because you're socially self-isolated. But what's even more devastating is that all this emotional stress is reflected then on the body and causes chronic organ-level disorders. So, so this is a whole complex interaction between mental states, emotional states, and our organ-level health. So it's sort of integrating the medicine as we know it, our cardiology and immunology and all these specialties with psychiatry and psychology. And, And we're working at the bridge between these areas. That was really exciting. It's so exciting to hear about a field that you're actually helping to create. Our guest has been Dr. Kati Gotard, Associate Professor in the Departments of Physiology and Neurology at the University of Arizona. Thank you so much, Kati. Thank you for having me.